0: Alright, hey, welcome to church today. If you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 13, and welcome to our series, Counterculture, walking through the book of Mark, and uh, man, it's just been a lot of fun this summer, talking through the biography of Jesus, and asking ourselves this question, how does Jesus present a countercultural way of to live and the reason that this is such an important question is because as we look at the world the way the people are living doesn 't seem to be working can we agree uh, people are not experiencing more health and more hope and more peace and you know tighter relationships and in, in their marriages and with each other there's there 's destruction and then there 's anxiety and fear and And we believe that Jesus presents us a a different way, a better way to live. And so that's where we've been going throughout this series. And we've only got a few weeks left in the book of Mark. It's been so good uh, just to ask that question throughout this journey. Uh, Well, a few years ago, a friend of mine, uh, his name's Ted, he came up uh, to Alaska. He's from the lower 48. And uh, he calls me up and he said, hey, um, can I borrow your, your Tahoe? We're doing a suicide run. And does anybody here know what a suicide run is? Yeah, if you're from Alaska, you know what it means. If you're not, it sounds pretty ominous. But a suicide run is when you come to Alaska or maybe you leave uh, from this local community and you try to go catch all your fish and uh, go down to the Kenai or wherever they're running and you try to get back home and take a shower and clean up in time for work the next day. It's, uh, it's a suicide run. It's a lot. And so him and a couple buddies were coming up. They're going to go down there and it's going to be this big trip. And so they said, he said, can I borrow your Tahoe to head down to the Kenai and I and if you know me I'm pretty careful about who I loan my cars to you know I'm a little I'm kind of a car guy kind of a clean freak with my vehicles but I thought you know I can trust Ted he's he's a trustworthy guy so they go down to the Kenai they fish all day long they catch their limit they've been flying since like the day before and traveling for over 24 hours and finally they are done and they, they decide to drive back into Soldatna. they're going to camp for the night and then come on back home and so as they're driving you know, they're worn out. They're tired, they're wet and cold. And so somebody in the car was like, hey, I want a really good night's sleep tonight. Can we just crank the heat? So they turn the heat all the way up to like 90 degrees. And they, they all just get themselves really comfortable as they're driving in to Soldadna. And he, he tells me this story later. He says they pulled into Soldadna and about then he blacks out. And then the next thing he remembers is somebody knocking on the window of the car And he comes to and rolls down the window, and it's this guy, and he realized he's sitting at a stoplight, and the guy goes, hey, are you dead, man? And he's like, no, why? And the guy guy goes, we've been in this parking lot over here watching you. You've been sitting here for three stoplights, and you haven't moved an inch. So we thought you had a heart attack or something. He had fallen asleep with his foot on the brake pedal, and it almost got him killed. So anyway, be careful on your suicide runs. You may get more than you asked for, but What's the point? The point is never loan out your Tahoe to a friend. It's just, it's not a good thing. The real point, the real point is this. Sometimes the things that make us comfortable are actually trying to kill us. They can actually lead us towards unhealth and and towards the things that we're not looking for out of life. And as we get into Mark chapter 13, what we're going to see is a, a challenge from Jesus to wake up. To wake up to your reality. To stay awake to the things of God. To wake up to the things that are trying to destroy you. And to be aware of those things. The term that kind of came to my mind as I was reading this text this week was this phrase, maybe you've heard it before, stay frosty. Stay frosty. I don't know if you've heard this phrase before. The origin of the phrase is kind of unknown, but it simply means this, to stay awake, aware, and ready for anything. Does that describe you? Do you live awake and aware and ready for everything in this world of constant news access and immediate information we tend to think that we're living lives of great and extreme awareness but studies are showing that people today are becoming less aware of what's really going on around them because there's so much conflicting information we don't know what's true and so people are more unsure of their shared reality than ever today how about self-awareness do you think you're pretty self-aware who here Let me ask this question. Who here has ever met somebody who lacks self-awareness? Raise your hand in the room. Everybody has been there before. Now, who thinks that they're the person that lacks self-awareness? Okay, two of you. Two of you think that you lack... So I was reading a study from Harvard this week that said 95% of people think that they are self-aware, but only 10 to 15% actually are. So you can do the math on who are the liars in the room here today but here's let me just help you out I'm gonna help your marriage help your friendships let me give you some some ways to see that you lack self-awareness here's some signs first um, people who lack self-awareness won't listen to or accept critical feedback is that you maybe not maybe they cannot empathize with or take the perspective of others is that you how about this? They have difficulty reading a room and tailoring their message to their audience. They don't understand what's going on around them. This is a huge one. They possess an inflated opinion of their contributions and performance. In other words, when their boss asks, asks them to rate their performance from 1 to 10, 10 being the best, they're always a 10. Always crushing it. They are hurtful to others without realizing it. Is that, is that you? They take credit for success and blame others for failures. So hopefully this just gives you a little self-diagnostic moment um, for those of you who think that you're very self-aware is, you know, are you actually as self-aware as you think. How about our awareness of how we're being formed by the world around us? I mean, do you realize that you're being formed constantly? Uh, we say this a lot as, as a church family that you need to be the, the primary discipler of your children. Like somebody will te- teach your little boys to be men and will teach your little girls to be young women. And it can either be the world or it can be you. You get to choose. But somebody is discipling your kids. You're being formed and discipled by the things you let into your life. Are you awake to that? Are you aware of how it's shaping you and changing you? It's kind of like the old illustration of the frog in boiling water. Have you heard that illustration? The idea that's been thrown around is that if you put a frog in cold water and then put that that, that on the stove, which I don't know why it's really bad for the frog, but anyway, put it on the stove, don't do this at home, and then you turn on the heat real slow. As the water warms up, the frog won't even notice, and then he'll stay in the water until he boils to death. The problem is it's not true. I looked it up. I watched a whole video. This is what happens when I'm doing sermon prep. It's just like tangent, and so I watched this whole video, and it's like, no, the frogs, they, as soon as it gets warm, what do they do? They jump out that's what they do they're smart enough to do that what's the point uh, the point is sometimes frogs are smarter than humans we don't we don't know when the heat's been turned on when we're actually being destroyed by the things that are that are in our lives we tend to just kind of stay in those in those things way too long and then end up affecting us how about being aware of what's to come are you aware of the future that's to come Now, if you're not a Christian, you'd say, well, it's all speculation, we don't know what's to come. But if you're a Christian, you do have a belief about what's to come. We have a theology of the future, that that Jesus is returning to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to build a, a new earth and a new heaven that will come together, total peace, total joy, total harmony, and only those who are part of God's family will be part of it. So this is what we believe about eternity, but everybody in the world seems to have some view of what doomsday looks like, or what the end looks like, right? people have all kinds of thoughts about what's going to end the world. Some people think it's going to be some kind of environmental catastrophe, right? Or it's going to be a meteor that's going to hit the earth, right? There are all kinds of movies like that. Uh, Right now, everybody is concerned about AI nuking the world, right? Is that what's going to end it? Or uh, even more recently, is it going to be aliens? Is it going to be aliens that take over the world? Lots of conversations about that. But everybody seems to have an idea about what's to come, but are you actually aware Of what the Bible says the end is going to look like, and are you aligning your life to that end? So when it comes to all that's happening in the world, there are a couple ways that we react to these things. And and the first way of reacting, I would call this person the paranoid person. And uh, in fact, this song had a lyric that spoke to this. It says, Paranoia strikes deep. And and that song was written back in the 60s, but as I'm listening to it today, I'm like, that could have been written in 2023, right? I mean, paranoid people, people, like all this stuff going on, people are just freaking out, losing their minds. I think that looks a lot like today, but maybe you're the paranoid person. Maybe you're living in constant fear. And that's how you are trying to, to work through the insanity of the world that you live in. The other reaction that I see for a lot of people that we're going to spend time on today is the passive. You've got the paranoid who are freaking out, thinking everything's trying to kill them. Then you've got the passive people who are just completely unaware of what's happening, uh, happening around them. And I see this a lot, right? I see this a lot in our community. I see passive parents who are letting social media disciple their children, right? And giving their phones to their kids way too young. And we can have conversations about that. But just be careful with technology because, man, somebody wants to get something from your children. And so be aware of that reality. We've got passive teenagers, who are becoming adults and their number one dream for a career is to become like an Instagram influencer, right? Or I want to be a YouTube star. These are a couple of the, the top answers that teenagers give to what career they want. And what's in many of their minds is how can I get a job where I get to work the least? It's, it, it's, a, it's a product of passivity. Like I, I just don't want to work. And I always tell you guys this, hey, in heaven you're going to get a J-O-B whether you like it or not. The Bible's very clear, like, you're going to work in heaven and you're going to love it. So you better start loving work today. So anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But, men, women in the room, passive women who are stepping into relationships with unhealthy people because you're lonely. And you're just accepting, oh, he's interested. Well, maybe he's terrible for you, right? We've got men in the room who are struggling. You're feeling passive about how to, how to lead your family, right? How, how to manage Everything that God designed you for as a man. And so a lot of men today struggling with passivity. In fact, we're so, I'm so convicted about this for our church and for our community. Um, We're launching something this fall called Forged Men's Rally Night. And we're going to get men in our community together every single month in this room to grow, to challenge each other, and to to lift each other up. I I think it's going to be really exciting. So there'll be more information to come on that. But there's just a struggle with passivity amongst all of us right now. And this song actually had a bit of a word for passive people, and here was the word. It said this. It says, stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. Once in a while, God is gracious enough to stop us in our tracks. Have you had a moment like that? Can you think of a time in your life where God was loving enough to you to stop you from destroying yourself, to stop you from going down a road that led to destruction? And and, and so that's the challenge. I I just want to push you on this today because I think we have a lot of people, and and you're in this room today, and you're listening to the sermon, and you're going to hear the word of God, and you're going to go back to life tomorrow, and you're going to do exactly what you did last week. And and you're going to miss out on everything that God has for you. Back to Mark uh, chapter 13. Some context for this Jesus is walking with his disciples through Jerusalem. And uh, Jerusalem was an amazing city. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've, I've been able to travel to Jerusalem before, and it's an incredible place to see. Now, what we see today is different than what they saw then, but still very impressive. And as the disciples are going down the road, they're looking at all these buildings, and they're, they're like, man, look at this incredible temple. Look at these incredible buildings. Jesus, aren't you impressed by this? Aren't you impressed by our architecture and by what we've, what we've accomplished? And in their culture, buildings, in the way they were designed, they were meant to portray power and uh, God's favor. If you, These build, big buildings were a sign of God's favor on a city. But Jesus responds to them when they say, Jesus, aren't you impressed, right? Look at these amazing buildings. Look at this temple. Jesus says this in Mark 13 too. Jesus replied, yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. I literally laughed out loud when I read this this week. I'm just in the moment, right? The disciples are like, Jesus, look at this. And he's like, yeah, it's all going to be destroyed, right? It'd be like if one of my kids came up and said, Daddy, look at the picture I drew. And I was like, it's going to burn, right? It's just It's just going to burn. That's kind of what it feels like in this moment, right? They're saying, Jesus, look at how far we've come. And I wonder for you, what do you use as a representation of your own progress in life? What is it that you bring before Jesus and you go, Jesus, look at, look at how far I've come. Look at, look at what I've accomplished. And Jesus is like, you're missing it. You're missing the point. I mean, we've done a lot as a society, as people, right? Have you been to like D.C. or New York City? It's incredible to walk down these streets and just to see these buildings. And, and you just, you start to, to think about the impressive nature of humanity, right? Like we really do bear the image of a highly creative God, an infinitely creative God. And so we create amazing things. I mean, I was watching a video this week of a robot doing brain surgery. That's pretty wild. We have robots that do brain surgery. We've built churches, big buildings. We gather crowds of people. How easy would it be for us to go, hey, Jesus, look at ACF here today. Look at the crowd of people. Look at what we've done. Aren't you impressed? Aren't you so impressed with us? We've built so many different things. Many of you have built businesses and careers. Some of you have online followings of tens of thousands of people. Like, what is it that you use as a representation of your own personal progress? For the disciples, it was this temple. They were like, oh, look at, look at what we've done, Jesus. And they don't realize this. But Jesus is going to tell them at some point, hey, these temples are going to go away. These, these temples, I'm actually creating a new temple, not one made of brick and mortar, but one made of flesh and bone, that you will become the temple of the living God, growing throughout the world, giving glory to me and not yourself. Amen. Everything's changing. Like, the, the, the way you measure progress will be flipped completely upside down in the kingdom of God. The people that God is like, oh, that person is getting it, with life right now, like might be completely different than you, who you think it is Jesus measures things differently and uh, I don't know if you know this I want to tell you today because I love you, there's a test that's coming well, don't we love tests? We love t- there's a test that's coming for all of us 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, but on the judgment day fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done the fire will show if a person's work has any value So there's this refining fire that's coming, and there's a day of judgment that's coming, and and we're going to bring everything we've done before God, all of our resume before God, all of our accomplishments, and the refining fire of God will burn up everything but what's invested into his kingdom. You can build your kingdom, it's going to burn up if it's not investing in God's kingdom. I think about this as as a pastor, that at some point God's going to stand before God, and he's going to measure ACF Church. And he's going to go, hey, Brian, this, you thought you were crushing it. Actually, you were not crushing it. Uh, it looked really, it impressed people, but it didn't impress me. Which should be how we value things, right? Like, does it impress God? What we're doing with our lives. And so the disciples, Jesus kind of calls them out. He's kind of a killjoy in that moment. And they're kind of shaken up by it because they think this temple's pretty amazing and they think the city's pretty amazing. And Jesus takes them up on the Mount of Olives, which overlooks. Uh, Jerusalem and just beautiful place. And then Peter, James, John, and Andrew get Jesus together privately and they ask him a question. Verse four, it says, tell us when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? In other words, what do they want to know? They want to know when is the end coming, Jesus? Like, when's it all happening? And a lot of us in the room, we have the same ten, uh, tendency, don't we? Like, we want to know when the end is coming. So Jesus does go on to give them various signs and, and, and different things to see the tribulation that's coming. He foreshadows the destruction of the temple, which we know happened in 70 AD, and so he's speaking about these things. Then he says, hey, there's persecution that's coming, which can I just tell you, ACF Church, it is not going to get easier to become a Christian in the next 10 years. It's going to get progressively more difficult, and so if you're a little squeamish right now at a friend asking you if you follow Jesus or asking you if you go to church, it's just going to get harder. And at some point, you're going you're gonna to have to choose, are you in or are you out? It's really going to polarize Christianity where we have a lot of nominal Christians who would say, oh yeah, I'm kind of a, kind of a, a Christian, you know, I would check that box on a, on a survey. That's going to go away as it gets more and more difficult to be a Christian. He says that's coming. He also talks about false messiahs, false prophecies, people who show up to the world to claim that they have a, a, a higher new interpretation of the Bible and of who Jesus is, um, and we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen that. Uh, people who use Jesus as a segue into what they believe to be true, and I just want to tell you, friends, Jesus is never a segue to anything. He's the center of all things. He is God of the universe, and if anybody tries to, tries to tell you something different than that, they are leading you to a false version of Jesus. And I just, you, you need to be awake to this. You need to be aware of this, because whether, whether it's happened yet or it will happen, somebody at some point is going to come knocking on your door, and you're going to open it, and they're going to present to you a non-biblical version of the Messiah, and we see this today. We see a lot of people with different versions of Jesus. We see the Jehovah's Witnesses. We see the Seventh-day Adventists. We see the Mormons. We see the Christian scientists. All of these are different views of Jesus, false views, non-biblical views of the Messiah. And they would say, okay, I, I've got a new revelation. And we would say, no, the only revelation is that of the Word of God, that of the Bible. And so you've got to be aware to this, or you're going to be drawn in by it. You've got to be able to be, be aware of these things and asking really good questions. I hope even today, as I'm up here speaking, God help us if I'm the only, uh, only uh, biblical worldview that you get in a week. Like, like, God help you, because you need to read your Bible, friends. Like, go home, and if I say something, you're like, I don't know if that's true. Awesome. Go figure it out. This is why when we talk about getting in small groups, we'll, we'll talk about this at the end, of the end of the service today, this is so for your life. This is so for you. This isn't about us building a large group of, of people in small groups. Like, I'm in one. I, I, I got a community. I just want one for you. Because a lot of the craziest stuff that's come out of the Bible, uh, it, it's happened because somebody sat alone and tried to figure out what the Bible said. And the Bible was never meant to be read on your own. Do you know this? Like, it wasn't until Gutenberg invented the printing press that we all got, like, our own personal Bibles. I mean, there was so much more that was done orally and through community. And so we need community to understand this stuff well. Like, you're going to get wacky if you go out to the woods of Alaska, just you and a Bible, and try to come up with a new revelation of the Word of God. I'm just telling you, some strange stuff's going to happen. We need people to challenge us and to push us in community. He goes on in uh, verse 32. Jesus says, but concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And then he says this be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when that time will come. Jesus is warning them, and he's warning you today, and he's warning me. You better be on guard. You better be awake because, because the Master's coming but you don't know when it's coming. It's like Jesus is kind of down on them trying to figure out the date and time, isn't it? It's like he's not too excited about giving them the answer to this, and he even says, well, he doesn't even know the answer to when that day and time is coming. Have you ever asked the question, when is this due, like in school or project at work? When you ask, when is it due, what are you really asking? You're asking, how long can I procrastinate so that I can still get the job done to make you happy? You're not asking when is this due so that you can get to it as quickly as possible. Nobody does that. But that's what we tend to do. We want to know when the master's coming back so that we can procrastinate as long as possible to get involved. And and, and I'll tell you, like, over the years there have been a lot of Christians and a lot of churches who have tried to figure out when Jesus is coming back, um, have prided themselves on that and said, okay, we did the math, right? We laid this prophecy on top of this prophecy and, and these numbers on these numbers and we figured out when Jesus is coming back. To this day, guess what? They've all been wrong. Every one of them. And if anybody ever tells you that they figured out when Jesus is coming back, what they're saying is that they're smarter than Jesus. Because even Jesus doesn't know when this is happening, right? Do you guys remember Y2K? Who's around for Y2K? That's crazy, right? Everybody downloading these programs on their computers because the hard drives were all going to get fried. And I don't know, we had like 50 gallons of rice in our basement. I don't know if you guys did this, like all, hoarding water. Oh man. If you were part of that crowd that was like, Jesus is coming back on the new year of Y2K, wasn't New Year's Eve really awkward? <laughs> wasn't it awkward? Like if that was you, and like, I mean, midnight struck and you're like, we're gonna go to be with. Nope, still here, <laughs> right? You're like, dang, I didn't even pay my power bill. I was just like, I was thinking we're, we're done, right? I'm going to go off and pay my mortgage. And Man, we got to know that the, the, the end is coming. It's imminent, but we don't know when it's coming. But we need to live like that. And then Jesus goes on to give them a little bit of a word picture uh, to help them. He says this, it is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work. And commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. So, kind of interesting imagery that he's using here. So in Roman society, uh, it wasn't uncommon for you to have a fence or a large wall around your home to protect you from people who were coming in to steal your stuff, right? And so at times, you'd have, you'd have people that were on watches. In fact, in Roman culture, there were, there were four different watches, and different people would trade off with each watch. And he describes somebody who's been told not to watch for one of those sessions, but to watch all day long. Can you imagine? Like no breaks. He's saying, keep watch all the time even when you're tired even when you want to want to break i want you to stay awake and keep watch and he talks about this person the master coming in the evening or at midnight this would have been some they would have, they would have been a little confused by this because people didn't travel in the evening or at night it was dangerous to travel at night right they didn't have lights to see the enemy coming and so the odds of somebody showing up at night would have been really really low but that's the point jesus is telling them even when you think it's least likely for Jesus to show up, you need to be awake. You need to, be, you need to keep watch. And then he, goes, he says this, he says, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. That'd be shocking, right? Like, who wants to be sleeping when the master shows up? I'm not going to ask for show of hands, but has anybody ever fallen asleep while they were at work? So I'll be the first. I, I did this once. I was 16. I was working at a car wash, in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and uh, it had snowed the night before, so I showed up, and there's nobody getting their car washed in the middle of a snowstorm, and so I'm sitting there in the office, it's nice and warm, once again, something about just getting warm, it puts you to sleep, so it's nice and warm in the office, uh, I would brought in like a little TV, this is how good of a worker I was, I had a TV at the office, and so I had my feet up, and I passed out for like six hours, <laughs> and I kid you not, I hear ding, 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 and I look over, Guess who it is? My boss shows up. So I found a new job the next day. And uh, literally, this, this, this really happened. So this is what he's talking about. Is like, the master's coming home. Are you ready for that? Like, if, he, if he's coming home, like, let's assume it's, it's in minutes. Are you ready for that? Lest you be asleep when the master comes back. Now, what does sleeping look like for you right now? Let, let, let's, let's say... That this message is for you. Let's say you showed up here today, and, and and this is this is a miraculous, ordained by God moment that's happening right now. That you are at church today because this is a message for you. Let's say that's the case, and God wants to wake you up. I want to ask you, what does this look like in your life? What does it look like to wake up? Where are you sleeping? Maybe for you, it's that you have been deceived. That you're getting theology from Instagram and from Twitter and or whatever it's called now. You're getting it from other people and, and you're not actually digging into the word of God and you're actually, you're actually moving farther and farther away from an understanding of the real Jesus. You need to wake up to that reality. You've been deceived. Maybe you've been, been deceived by your own desires. The Bible talks about that reality that we will be deceived by our own desires. If we want something bad enough, we will convince ourselves that it's right and be deceived. Maybe you've been tempted for you, sleeping looks like I'm just going to wander into this temptation over and over again. I've just given up on fighting it. So you've just kind of fallen asleep and said, this will always be part of my life. It could be false teaching that you've fallen under. Maybe it's a lack of prayer for you. Falling us, listen, you know you're sleeping through life when you don't pray anymore. That's how you know. That's a, that's a, that's a great litmus, litmus test. How dependent are you on prayer? That will determine and show you Whether you're sleeping through life or awake to the presence of God. Because I think if we're actually awake to the presence of God, we're going to be praying all the time. We're going to be praying all the time. In fact, here over the next month, we're we're entering into a season of prayer as a church family. And I want to invite you to be a part of this. So starting on Monday, tomorrow, we're going to fast from food all day long. Some of you have never done this. I want to encourage you. You can do this. You will not die. Okay? I promise. You can call me the next day if you die. Um, But you'll be fine. It's not going to happen. But we're going to fast from food all day long. We're going to start every day for the next four weeks with 10 minutes of dedicated prayer, okay? So before you pick up your cell phone and check social media, before you check your email, maybe before you get out of bed, 10 minutes of dedicated prayer, okay? The third thing is everybody is going to ask one other person to be praying for them every single day for those four weeks, okay? Like like who doesn't need their own intercessor? I'm going to ask for three people, so I don't, you, might, you might do 10 people. Get as many people praying for you as possible. That's what I would say. And maybe you're going to pray for them as well. And then the last thing is, uh, the, the day of our fall kickoff in September, we're going to fast from food that day, once again, that Wednesday, and then enter into our fall season. So again, this is one way that you can start to wake up to the reality of God, is to be a person of prayer. So I'm going to put these words on the screen real quick. And I want us to read these words. Ready? One, two, three. Watch out. That's super weak. But that's my point. This is how we tend to feel about these words. But this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying watch out. Now, I want to do that again. But as, you, as we say these words together again, here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that your best friend is walking down the street with their cell phone. And they're you know, texting or whatever. And you just happen to be driving by with your window open, and you notice that they're about to step up in front of an Anchorage City snowplow into the street. And they're texting. And as you're driving by, you say these words, three, two, one. Watch out! That's much better. Are you awake now? This is, this is the intensity of this. And all week long, as I've been praying for you, um, I feel like there's some people in the room that, you need to hear this today. Watch out. There's something trying to destroy you right now. There's something trying to take your life from you, to make you comfortable, to just put you to sleep, to keep you from the high call that God has on your life. Watch out. I think the marriages in this room. There's a lot of marriages struggling right now. I mean, it's hard. It's, it is hard to be married, right? God puts you with this other human being, and, you know, opposites attract, and, and, you know, the sparks fly, and all of a sudden there's tension and challenges. And, man, you learn a lot about yourself when you get married. Then you learn more about yourself when you have kids, right? And at some point you go, I never even knew myself. You know? I've shared pretty openly here. Uh, five years ago, my wife and I, we had the hardest season of our marriage. And uh, it's, it's funny how people neutralize these things because I'm a pastor. Um, it was pretty much as bad as you can imagine. Uh, we talked about things that I never thought we would talk about. You know, before this point, for the first 15 years of our marriage, uh, when people talked about divorce, we were like, that's other people. That's the people we counsel. That's the people we work with. That's not us. That's somebody else's problem. All of a sudden, it became our problem. And things found their way into our house that we never thought would find their way into our house. And luckily at that point, we had community around us, people that loved us, they were willing to walk with us on that journey. We uh, checked ourselves into counseling and had people of great wisdom speaking into our lives. And, and uh, we're, today, I'll tell you what, we are happier and healthier than we've ever been because we've done the hard work. And uh, yeah, <laughs> praise God. Um, and I'm just telling you, like, I was thinking about the things that led to that moment, just the character issues in my own heart, in my own life. And I would have loved for somebody to to have said, hey, Brian, watch out. Like, watch out. So, So here's what that means. Since I didn't hear that, either my friends didn't see it, and I wasn't in tight enough community, and I wasn't honest with them enough for them to see it, or nobody loved me enough to tell me to watch out. So let me be the one that loves you enough to say, watch out. There are things that are trying to destroy you right now. There are things that have been part of your life forever. Some of you today, like when it comes to your, your sexual life, like there's things that are feeding their way into your life that they're trying to destroy you. And, you know, it's that porn, porn addiction that you've got. And late at night, man, you're, you're falling into this habit, and it's, and it's hurting your marriage, and it's hurting your friendships, and it's hurting your, the way you see yourself, and you're caught up in shame, and it's stealing more from you than you imagine. It's the pills that you're reaching for. It's the, it's the substance that's kind of soothing your life, and I just want you to hear it from me. Watch out. There's something that wants to steal your life from you. Maybe you're here today and, yeah, you're dating somebody. I always talk to the singles, and I know I'm old school, but I'm telling you what, like, if you're sleeping with the person that you're dating, you're not practicing for marriage, you're practicing for divorce. Like, you think that you're getting ready. You're like, oh, we're test driving the car. No, if you can't exercise self-control in your sexuality when you're dating, what makes you think that you're going to when you're married? And and this is probably a dad saying amen, right? Like... (laughs) Again, th- this, is, this, is, this is the reality. And I just want you to know, when somebody says watch out, I've done this my whole life. People who loved me and cared for me have said watch out, and I've always kind of thought, yeah, but you don't get it. Yeah, you don't get it. And I just I wa- I want you to know that like, the people who love you enough to say watch out, I-, I want you to consider what they have to say before you write it off. If your spouse is saying, honey, we should get some counseling, don't harden your heart to counseling. That, that, that husband or that wife is saying, hey, we need to watch out. Something's coming, right? If somebody's talking to you and say, hey, bro, you're isolated. You're getting. You're in a bad place. You need to come to our small group. Like, I, I, I'm worried about you. I care about you. Watch out. Listen to them. There's a chance that they see something that you don't see. And years from now, and it's only on the other side, it's hindsight is 2020. you're going to look back and go, I wish I would have watched out. I wish I would have been aware. It would have cost me a lot less. And I want you to know this too, watching out isn't just about the bad things, it's also about the good things. God's inviting you into his story. He's inviting you into this this amazing, beautiful story of redemption in the world, and he wants you to be a part of it. How awesome is that? So our life isn't just about avoiding the bad things. In fact, you will never avoid the bad things if you don't pursue the good things. You need to know what you're after in life. And if it's after, as as Pastor Cody shared, if it's after God's kingdom first, all of these other things will be added unto you. And so here's my question for you today. Have you been waiting for Jesus or have you been watching for Jesus? Have you just been waiting for Jesus to wake you up out of your slumber? I just want you to know that's a dangerous game of chicken. Anybody ever played chicken? It's not a good game where you go, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing until God just like shocks me into this reality. Don't wait for that. I'm here. You can do this today. You can wake up today to the presence of God in your life. You can watch out right now. Many of you are are hunters. We're coming into hunting season in Alaska, and I've got a friend that I go hunting with, and I love him, and uh, we go out there, and uh, we're just very different people and different personalities, and we always go up on these two mountains, and I'll go up on one side. He'll go up on the other side, and what we'll do is—is is the whole goal is like we've got binoculars, and my job is to watch his mountain, and his job is to watch my mountain, and if we see a moose, our job is to get in our in our on our four wheeler and, and ride back around to them and say, hey, there's a moose, and then we're gonna go we're gonna go kill the moose, right? So that, that's what we do. And so this happens every year. I'll be over there and I'm like on the glass watching, just like hours on end. Okay, my eyes are crossing, and I'm wa- and I'll scan over to him, and there he is, passed out sound asleep in the sun <laughs> and I'm like I'm watching your mountain who's watching mine right and I could just lay there and go I, I, hope, a, I hope a moose comes and you'd be like dude that's, that's not how you do it right that's not a successful way you need to be watching and this is what Jesus is saying is man there's a lot of Christians that hey you're ready for Jesus to come back but you're not watching you're kind of like that ah, my salvation's good I'm not going to hell, so I'm good. You're not good, man. You're missing out on what your faith is designed to do. If you're not watching for God, not just in your life, but in the life of those around you, have you been waiting for Jesus or actually watching for Jesus? Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and a friend brought you or a spouse brought you to church today and you're like, yeah, Brian, I, I don't know if I believe in God, but... You know, if he wants to show up, let him show up. Jesus says this, he says, Seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Watch out. So I want you to imagine, like, what if it's true? Like, what if there's a solution to every mistake you've ever made? To all the shame you have ever felt? What if there's someone who could rescue you from all of that? Who literally took the payment of your sin upon himself? And that this life isn't the end, but it's leading in to an unimaginably joyful life to come. And the way to enter into that life with that person that died for you is simply to put your faith and trust in him. If that's true, wouldn't you want to watch for it? Or would you just wait for it to show up? Watch out. This text brings us, I think, to a response in verse 9 question is like, what does it look like to watch out? What does it look like to live a life of, of watchfulness? It says this, you will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. Listen to this, but this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. What does it look like to live a watchful life? It means to take every opportunity to tell people about Jesus. That's how you know you're being a watchful person. You see, this isn't just about you. This is about our mission together. This is about your friends. We say this a lot. We are not okay with our friends not being okay without Jesus. We're not okay with it. Like, like We will do whatever it takes. We talk as a church. We will do anything short of sin to reach our city for the sake of the gospel. Thank you for spreading out, by the way. I've been asking people to spread away from this service. If this is the only one you can come to, please keep coming. But if you can move away from this service, the service starts to fill up every single fall. And so continue to move to that 8.30 or 11 service or a Wednesday service. But it's just a small thing that we can do if we're actually watching, and looking. We want to make sure that we continue to make room for our city, for our friends that don't know Jesus. We want to take every opportunity to open our mouths. And if you're watching for Jesus, he will speak to you. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. And, and what if this week you just said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just throw my ego aside. And when I, when I hear an opening to talk about God or about church... I'm just going to use it. I'm going to step into it. See what happens. I'll just share a story. A couple of weeks ago, I was getting some work done on a four-wheeler out in the valley and uh, went into the service department and got to know this guy and he, he I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you just start kind of hearing more about somebody's life than usual and he was just very open. Started talking about a pretend, potential divorce that was coming and there's a there's a kid involved and he's 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 stressed out and and just started opening up about all this stuff and so I had, a, I had a decision to make and what I wanted to say was hey just fix my four wheeler and I'm going to leave um, but instead I said hey you know our church out in Eagle River we've got this thing called Hope to Alaska where we pay for people to get counseling uh, we don't pay them to get counseling we pay for their counseling and uh, I said if, if you and your wife would like some counseling we'd love to help you with that And in fact I've got this great church community if you want to come to church and it's a, it's a place where we say you don't have to believe to belong. In other words, sometimes we think belonging comes before believing. So even if you're not a Christian yet, we want you to be part of this place and to ask your questions and to come grow with us. And I said, I'd love to see you. And I just kind of left it at that. I came back a week later, and, and he goes, Hey, man, I just want to let you know my wife and I were getting some counseling. And I think we're going to work it out. Amen. Yeah. Yeah by the way, if, that's, if you're watching or you're here in this room, uh, I've been praying for you. Uh, I don't mean to call you out, but I've been praying for you uh, faithfully for your marriage. And so, what does it look like for you to take every opportunity? I have missed thousands of them. Just to share Jesus with somebody. Just to, just to say, hey, there is hope to be found in Christ alone. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you for this moment, and I thank you for the chance to come together and hear from your word and Father, we don't want to leave here sleeping would you wake up our souls to your presence And as we worship in the next few moments God, I pray we'd worship from a place of deep gratitude if you're here in this room and maybe Jesus has not been the Lord and leader of your life, I just want you to pray with me Father, I commit my life to you I want to step from darkness to light I want you to take my heart and I want to put my, my faith in you I pray you'd make me alive in you and heal me and trust that your grace is enough for my weakness. And God, together today, we're thankful for the cross. We're thankful for the price that's been paid. God, wake us up to the reality of your presence and send us out. Once again, as missionaries into the world, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys.